So it's welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Huddle. My name is Stuart Taylor. And for those of you who listen regularly uh, to our podcast, uh, I'm the stand in presenter this evening. Our regular presenter, Ian Marsden, is taking a well-deserved rest. Uh, But fortunately, I've got two doyens of the Leeds Hospital Radio sports team who produce this broadcast to to help me out and uh, are going to be doing most of the talking this evening. Uh, I've got Jim Walker and Alan Breeze with me. So uh, welcome to you both. Hello. Hello and thank you for such a kind introduction. Splendid. So um, what we're going to do for the next half hour or so is just talk about sport and have a natter, uh, not, not just about West Yorkshire sport, but um, uh, the uh, sort of wider uh, angle as well. Um, so, um, what we will be doing this week is talking uh, particularly about um, a certain uh, cricket contest that's uh, going on at the moment between England and Australia. It's not going too well for England at the moment. And as we record on this Thursday evening, the first day of the third test has just finished at Headingley. So we'll probably touch on that. But uh, we'll certainly be uh, running the rule over what's happened over the first two tests. And in fact, uh, and certainly quite a bit uh, to chew over. But we're going to start with um, our West Yorkshire, I nearly said Premier League team, actually, there, but uh, of course now uh, a championship team. Um, I'm, I'm desperately sorry, Leeds United fans, to bring that up again. But um, this week, um, uh, Leeds United appointed uh, Daniel Farker as their manager uh, to succeed the interim uh, Sam Allardyce, who uh, lasted all of uh, four games at the end of the season. So Daniel Farker, the former Norwich manager, uh, comes in to, uh, we hope, uh, steer Leeds United back to the promised land at the first attempt in this coming season. Alan, your views on the appointment of Daniel Farker? Uh, well, I think it's certainly take longer than I would have hoped. Uh, I can understand the reasons why that might be with all of the change of ownership. And apparently, I didn't realise this, uh, th- apparently the, uh, the the thing that's holding it up has been the uh, fit and an appropriate director checks, which the Premier League and the English Football League are different. So mm. they thought that the uh, owner thought he'd sorted it, um, assuming they were in the Premiership, and then they got relegated, and then they've got to go back to the... EFL to, to go through some more hoops. Now, that, that, how bizarre is that? I don't know. Maybe there's just more, maybe there's just more rogues in, in the Premier League or less rogues. I don't know, but uh, these checks are different. So that's taken the time. It's a shame because, um, what needs to happen and it's been delayed is a manager's appointed tick. Is he the right manager? Don't know. Hope so. Uh, and thank you. I know Lancastrians have trouble enunciating, and you, it's good that you, you've actually got that one right. Farker, as in Barker. Thank you. That's that's really good. Uh, I'm not sure people from Blackburn can really do that sort of uh, enunciation. But anyway, that's uh, that's trivial. So I'll, I'll continue. So moving on, uh, is he the right man? Well, he's got Norwich up twice, but he's, uh, did he not also get them relegated once? I don't know. It is. Um, so the bottom line is this. Uh, yeah, yes, he's a very capable man. Uh, we've had experience in this part of the world of, of, of German um, managers and they've largely been successful. 
Um, what's the budget? Who's the players? What, what's he going to do between now and the 6th of August to get the team he needs and get shot of the ones he doesn't, what have you? Which crumbs. There's just so much to do behind the scenes. And he's he's really on the back foot. I wish him all the best. Uh, I look at a team like Leicester City. Um, I thought it was well managed. Um, they've actually got themselves a, a decent manager. Uh, and they've already made quite a lot of good signings. For me, Leicester City, I would say, put your money on them. I didn't have them at 5,000 to 1 to win the Premier League a few years ago. But um, I think Leicester City are probably one, two, three months ahead of where Leeds are at the minute. It's catch-up time for Leeds. But, Falker, yeah, tick. Oh, thanks, Alan, for that. As a graduate of both French and German, I was thinking of offering my services to Leeds United as a translator for Daniel Farker, but uh, he speaks good enough to English not to need uh, need my help. Uh, he speaks better English than I do. Um, Jim, um, you are, of course, a, a, a Leicester City fan, man and boy, um, and I see already that uh, that uh, your uh, Premier League stars are uh, deserting the ship uh, so to speak Madison's gone to Spurs I saw Sunku uh, went off to Atletico Madrid I think uh, uh, earlier this week but um, how many of the Leeds United um, players do you think are going to leave between now and the start of the season surely that's uh, Farkas probably first challenge isn't it to assemble a squad Yes, I think that's absolutely right, um, uh, Stuart. And what's interesting is that all three teams that were relegated have all got new managers, of course. Um, and it will be interesting to see which of the three survives well and which of the three sort of struggles. But as you quite rightly say, I saw that Forshaw had already gone from Leeds. Um, and I would have thought Harrison will very quickly be uh, on his way. Um, cause wingers aren't in great supply, um, around the place. Um, whether, whether Leeds would want to sell him, whether Leeds would agree to a price, I don't know, because what is interesting, um, and I'm grateful for Alan for his great, uh, confidence in Leicester City is that when Harvey Barnes, um, departs probably to Newcastle, uh, there is no winger at Leicester on the books because they've already released uh, the Brazilian Tete, so there are no wingers. Uh, and they did try and sign Harrison um, in the transfer window in February. So whether they would return to try and try and purchase Harrison, I don't know. Um, uh, I think Leicester people are generally excited um, because um, Maresca comes with a pedigree, and I think there's a certain hope around the place that he might also bring a few Manchester City uh, up and comings with him, um, which would be a real, a real boost. Um, so as far as Leeds are concerned, um, I've, I've a feeling that they might actually hold on to most of the team, to be honest, because I'm not sure apart from Harrison, um, who is in demand, there'll be the Italian winger Nonto. I think he, he yeah. will go somewhere. Um, so, so Leeds like Leicester will also be left without wingers, seems to me. Um, I think Adams, uh, if he's fit, 
uh, will stabilise it. Uh, I think Adams and McKenna in midfield, I think, are a reasonable midfield. Um, I always felt that. Uh, but um, it's a case of Farquhar's got to hit the ground running um, and decide who he's going to be playing, what style he's going to play. Uh, I mean, he's always played with a um, a sort of a, an out-and-out centre-forward. Pookie was the one at Norwich, of course. Yeah. Um, I suppose you could argue that Bamford, if he's if he's fit, uh, Bamford, if he's fit, it fits that criteria. Or he may even go back to Norwich and try and take some of the Norwich players. I don't. I honestly do not know. I mean, it's so soon. Um, it it did take a while to get him appointed, and to be honest, I was surprised that there weren't more names in the frame. I didn't see a lot of lot of names being touted about, and that did surprise me somewhat because Leeds have got the supporter base to uh, uh, to, to do all right, but. Who knows? I mean, I think it's just you've got to wait and see what the owners come up with by way of cash and uh, take it to uh, take it from there. But I would have thought that uh, there will be a few offers around waiting for him to deal with. Now he's been appointed. Yeah, I, I think maybe the lack of speculation, as it were, about uh, about the new manager was maybe to do with the interregnum, really, with the you know the whole saga of Radrizzani. Uh, selling to uh, the 49ers or the 49ers buying out his, his stake and nobody really at the helm to um, mm. uh, to drive it forward. So so uh, possibly uh, you know, they weren't inundated with the applications that you would normally expect them to be inundated with. I mean, from my personal view for what it's worth is I think that's a really solid appointment with Daniel Farker. Um, Alan's right. He's, he's, he's done it twice and he's, you know, he's, he's suffered a relegation. But um um, I think the San Francisco 49ers have probably got deeper pockets than Delia Smith and her husband. Um, so I think if Farker is successful in getting Leeds back up to the Premier League in the first couple of years, because uh, they'll be supported by uh, parachute payments, won't they, for the first couple of years. So mm. yeah, they, they, um, they'll be able to retain those who want to stay. Um, I, I'm, I'm pleased that they've gone with somebody who's, you know, got the championship t-shirt because uh you know bringing somebody in who's had no experience of managing at championship level you know and going to places like millwall on a tuesday night in november you you you've got to you've got to know what that, that's like i think and uh mm. when i remember i think i was uh on the broadcasting the game actually when norwich came to ellen road three or four years ago and um, and took them apart, and and it was Norwich and Leeds at the top of the table at the time. And I remember the you know the the attacking fullbacks that Norwich had, uh, Max Aarons, I think was one of the fullbacks. I can't remember who the other one was. Uh, a really vibrant midfield, and uh, of course Pookie up front knocking them in. Uh, they were a really good side, and I think if Farker can reproduce that, uh, then um, you know I think he'll win the fans over pretty pretty quickly. And uh, mm, that 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 that's a good point, Alan Stewart, because of course that's where Leicester are taking the risk. Because while Maresca has got plenty of pedigree working alongside uh, Guardiola with the players that they've got at Manchester City, uh, if he attempts to play in the same way at Leicester, he may find the players aren't up to it, and all of a sudden. Ball's given away, and we've got eight players up the field, and <laughs> only two players in in defence, and uh, and we get yeah. put apart. But I, I'm I'm I think everybody is 
pretty hopeful that this chap knows what he's doing. And I think to have already signed up Cody and Winks, I think is that is pretty good, to be honest, because even even if Fast disappears now, um, don't talk of him disappearing at the moment, but if he does to go, we have got some cover in Cody and Evans there trying to persuade to stop on. So uh, so I think the defence hopefully will be more solid than last year. Yeah, well, uh, we shall know soon enough. The um, the new season is fast approaching, and as I'm sure as uh, our pod- podcasts continue uh, throughout July, then uh, we'll we'll be starting to uh, talk more about uh, the, the the season that's coming. But uh, that's uh, that's Leeds United sorted. Uh, it did catch my eye actually that uh, at one stage the three. Yorkshire clubs, Leeds United, Barnsley and Sheffield Wednesday were all without uh, managers. I'm, I'm not sure Barnsley have appointed anybody yet. But, mm, uh, today, but... Neil Collins. Oh, right. I hadn't heard, hadn't heard that. Right. Yeah. OK. So and, and Sheffield Wednesday went, uh, was it Marasco? Not Marasco. Um, Munoz, isn't it? Um, Sheffield Wednesday appointed uh, on this week. So at least they got managers. I saw Forrest Green sacked Duncan Ferguson <laughs> yeah. on this week. Was he ever in the job in the first place? I mean, Dunk, he's a lovely lad. I would hate to meet him in a dark room or a dark <laughs> alley. But, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, mind you, uh, given that we're talking about Forest Green there, apparently uh, the chairman or the owner of Forest Green has been uh, sticking one and a half million quid in the pockets of, of uh, these oil protesters. So I think maybe you should uh, just give football up and go and sort out the oil. Right, yes, I did see you on uh, Court 18 at Wimbledon yesterday, Alan. I'm sure it was you throwing the orange confetti about. Um, yeah, Duncan Ferguson, uh, I, I did note that uh, the chairman of Forest Green, Dale Vin, said that they'd parted as friends. That was a good move by the chairman of Forest <laughs> Green, I say that. He's a big lad. He's a big lad. Yeah, and of course, Forrest Green, have, uh, the, the, as interim manager, they've appointed the first female manage, interim manager, not not manager, of a professional uh, football club in this uh, in this country. So that uh, we'll we'll watch that with um, with some interest. Right, let's park football, and um, yeah, it's summer, it's it's midsummer, so we've got to talk about cricket, really, haven't we? And uh, let's uh, let's focus on the Ashes. Um, if you're a cricket fan, uh, you'll know, uh, sadly, that uh, in this much anticipated uh, Ashes, probably the uh, the most anticipated Ashes series for a generation since England won famously in 2005. Um, sadly, Australia lead the series uh, two. Nil um, won the first game by two wickets at Edge Baston and the uh, the second one at Edge at uh, at Laws by 40 odd runs. So two very close games, but Australia came out on top in both. And uh, as we record, um, the first day at Headingley has just finished uh, with uh, Australia bowled out for 263 and England at 60 odd for three. So that game is finally balanced. But uh, we've got to talk, Alan. First of all, I guess about that dismissal in the uh, second test at Lord's um, um, last week. And, of course, I'm referring to uh, Johnny Bairstow. And I think he's gone down in the scorebook as, as stumped, Carey, mm. bold, green, has it not? Um, if uh, if you're unaware of what happened, 
um, Johnny Bairstow played at the delivery, went through to the wicketkeeper. He scratched his back foot to uh, claim that he was uh, he was in his ground and then went wandering down the wicket. Uh, the wicketkeeper carry threw down the stumps. The Australians appealed uh, and on review he was given out. Well, firstly, I think the umpire thought he was uh, adjudicating for a run out, uh, but uh, they're very quickly uh, corrected that to stumped. And as a consequence, um, uh, the crowd went absolutely crazy. Uh, the Australians have been booed wherever they've been ever since. And there's been a huge debate about the spirit of cricket. So, Alan, I've got to ask you, was that just a Johnny Bairstow brain fade and a bit of dozy cricket? Or was it more than that? Stuart, how long have we got? <laughs> I can give you the long version or the short version. Where do you stand on it? I would dec- I definitely suggest I, I put forward the shorter version because Please do. Our, our listeners uh, will be bored to death if, if, if I give you what I really think. But I'll give you I'll give you the shorter version. And, and I would summarise it as follows. Uh, number one, Johnny Burstow, technically with the, the Lords of Cricket, was out. So let's just part that. Secondly, Johnny Burstow, um, at least two, if not three, balls prior to the incident um sort of either played the ball or didn't play the ball but then he went strolling down the wicket and i thought well that's rather odd what was that now at that point if our australian friends were gentlemen they'd have said hang on a minute johnny uh, if you're going to keep wandering down the wicket we're going to do what we do they didn't um, and I draw the comparison with Mancad. Uh, again, that could be either a long discussion or a short discussion. If, if you're going to be run out of, of Mancad, i.e. backing up, and I'm not sure all of our listeners will, will be fully familiar with that, but it's about leaving your, as a non-striker, leaving your crease too early and taking advantage. If you're going to run somebody out for taking that advantage within the law of the game, you are quite entitled to do that. But it would be rather polite uh, to say, look, hang on a minute, Stuart, you, you're backing up here. You shouldn't do that. And if you do it again, I'm going to do it. Now, um, on no occasion did the Australians draw Johnny Bester's attention to that. Was Johnny Bester a bit dozy? Probably. But I'm coming down firmly on the side of the English here uh, because I just think it was quite out of order, not within the spirit. Uh, I've played cricket for longer years. In fact, I'm currently still playing cricket. Um, and if that happened to me, I would be pretty fed up. Johnny was not very sensible. The Australians were completely out of order. However, I will just conclude. A game of cricket last five days isn't all about one bloke being... Um, if you like, impolitely stumped. Um, you look at all the other reasons. England didn't lose that game because Johnny Bairstow had been impoli- impolitely stumped. It is because they lacked the performance in other career areas. And if I was their manager, I would be drawing their attention to that rather than Johnny Bairstow. Hmm. Thanks, Alan. Food for thought there. Jim, it seems to me on this one that um, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? But it seems to me that that spirit 
of cricket is being applied at the top downwards because th- that sort of situation, the, what happened to Johnny Bairstow happens, you know, goodness knows how many times every weekend in league cricket. Um, you know, and I've been standing at slip in many games when I've sort of either I or my colleagues have tipped up the wicketkeeper that the, the batsman's wandering out of his crease and next time he does it, throw the wicket down and there's no, there's not even a whisper of warning. We're just... Uh, I'd be here from Lancashire, Stuart. I beg your pardon? You're from Lancashire. Well, from of course. Lancashire. Yeah, well, we play hard. So, um, Jim, I'll be interested in your view, Jim, as a, as a, a Leicester man and a cricket man through and through. Where, where do you stand on this? Well, I've got I've got two things two things to say. Uh, one is anecdotal, and the other is just an observation. The, the first of one is why the umpire didn't call over. Mm. And I don't think I don't think it's like a mancad because in a mancad you get an advantage by 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 and if you if you run out by half an inch you run out. Likewise, if you're in by half an inch you're in. Uh, Bearstow was not seeking to get an advantage. There was no, there was no question of going for a run, um, and the umpire should have should have called over, but he didn't. So that's that. But now, anecdotally, this is more amusing. Um, when I was first starting out in life, uh, I played for a team in Leicester, um, and I wasn't keeping wicket at that point. And our captain was the wicketkeeper, and he had the habit of doing this quite regularly. Um, and so I remember there was one match. And uh, the other team were batting first, and he did this. And the chap turned round to him and said, I also keep wicket, he said. If you do that again, when you're batting, you're going to get this ball round your blankety-blank head. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, so then I went and I changed changed clubs, and I became the wicket keeper. I was only about 14 or 15. Um, but I'd sort of been brought up with this thing. So I, so I did this and there was a, a, a wise chap who stood next to me at slip and he said, look, son, he said, if you ain't good enough to stand over the stumps, don't do that because that's not what we do. And I never forgot that. Um, and every time I see it happening, I think if you're not good enough to get over the stumps, then you shouldn't be doing that. And I would change the rules to quite simply say, in order to be stumped, the ball has to be in the wicketkeeper's gloves when it hits the stumps. And then that way, you wouldn't be stumped. Uh, you would, the only way you would be stumped is if the wicketkeeper was actually standing over the stumps. Mm. Mm. Uh, I know. Let me tell the ECB about that, Jim. That's, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. That's, uh, I think fairly you... simple, simple rule changes needed. Uh, it was never run out. I don't why it was referred to the third umpire. I have no idea. Because well, the if the umpire had known the, known the rules, who was standing at square leg, he would have known it's not a run out. Um, and uh, the therefore, we got the backs to what was going on. They were walking away. Well, <laughs> no, uh, I, I think it's, it just caught yeah, them all out difficult. by surprise. But it's very but difficult. I mean, it's, it's it, done. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. It is done. I think um, if if Bairstow had waited just a second longer, I think the umpire would have called over. I mean, did he did he forget to call over? I don't know that maybe the umpires could have stepped in and and uh, and, and and resolved it. Um, 
It's a really difficult one. Uh, Johnny Bester, of course, has yet to comment, and it will be interesting to hear eventually. Maybe he's waiting till the end of the series, but uh, for, for the book, isn't it? It, it, it certainly is, but it's... It uh, it's be, uh, the other thing we'll be interested to know is how often the umpire does call over. Mm, mm. Because I don't ever remember picking it up on a stump microphone. No, I don't know. I mean, I, again, you know, that down the uh, down the levels, as it were, and one of our colleagues, uh, Bernie Thornton, who's not with us tonight, of course, is a, uh, a an umpire of some repute, but certainly in league cricket... Um, you know, which we which we all play, then uh, uh, over is called automatically. Every over, it is done. But uh, maybe as you, the further you get up the uh, the ladder, as it were, then it's uh, it's it's less important. But uh, it'll well, rumble along because they can't count can't count to six in league cricket. They don't have a scoreboard to look at, and uh, they can't count to six, so they can't count the balls. Uh, so, Jim, the count the count to four, and then they signal to the colleague two left. Yeah, that's the trick. Yeah, um, no, no. What, what I'm meaning is, yeah, it, yeah, in league cricket, but the batsman doesn't know. No, that's uh, true. The batter that's doesn't true. know. That's um, true. That's whereas true. now they've got scoreboards yeah. which tell them exactly how many balls have been bowled. So everybody knows, field yeah. inside and batting side, how many balls have been bowled. So when the yeah. sixth ball comes down, it's not called no ball. Everybody just starts wandering up the other end. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. It'll rumble on. And talking of no balls, let, uh, what I do want to talk about is... The, these, the first two games have been very tight, um, but what has struck me is actually in the first two, the aggregate of runs scored in the first two tests of the series, England are actually marginally but ahead of Australia in terms of runs, total runs scored across the across the four innings apiece. But of course, they're, they're two nil down. And, and one one thing that struck me is the fact that. Um, and, and I'm not including the first day of the third test here, but um, and Alan referred to this, actually, England not taking the chances. They've dropped. I think it's uh, again after the first day of, of the test, the third test of the day, they dropped at least a dozen catches, which which hasn't helped. Uh, some have been fairly simple catches at uh, international level. But England in the first two tests bowled 41 no balls and conceded 31 buys. Um that's unnecessarily profligate, Alan, isn't it? Well, it is, but I did, I mean, just to be provocative, um, I, I did actually notice that the third highest scorer of the Australian innings was extras. Mm. Uh, basically, they got one bloke who got 100 in, in no time, uh, somebody else um, got 30-odd, and, and the next one was extras. So I think extras should be encouraged. We should have more of it. <laughs> yeah. Jim, 41 no balls and, and um, yeah, the, the ex Leicestershire and then uh, uh, and moving on to Knott's man uh, Stuart Broad has, uh, has been a forefront of that. And, uh, you know, as a as a bowler myself, you, you're a wicketkeeper. Uh, I, I was a bowler. I, I just can't work out how, um, you know, a bowler who's bowled thousands of overs in his in his career can just regularly overstep the mark. And particularly, of course, with Stuart Broad, in the first test, he bowled Kawaja, did he not, with a no mm. ball, when Kawaja mm. was very early on in his innings. Mm. That, that's absolutely right. The the theory that was put forward, and I don't necessarily say I subscribe to this, because I tend to agree with you more, Stuart, but the, the view that was put forward was that the reason, one of the reasons, was because Stuart Broad does not play limited overs cricket. 
where in limited overs cricket, if you bowl a no ball, you get penalised more than if you do in a test match. True. So they're striving for the for the exact maximum you know shortness of the pitch by getting as far forward as they can, and it's it's millimetres. And of mm. course, the third umpire now is is responsible for adjudicating this with but with the technology, whereas when the umpire just standing at the bowlers ended it, it was would have been much harder to to call such a thin margin. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's taken out of their hands. Um, and of course, a lot of the no balls, um, uh, I don't think it means there were 41 instances necessarily. There could be some no balls that went for four buys or something, which get credited, I think, as four no balls, don't they? Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked this up. Um, but um, um, but certainly that's it's, it's an enormous number, and of course it you know in, in fine margin games uh, that can make a difference because yeah. if you take that second test and you think about the 15 runs that were added by Nathan Lyon on one leg when he was at the wicket, uh, and you think about the no balls, uh, all of a sudden that that target comes comes down a fair bit, and then once you add the catches in, well it's it's a negative target then, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's been, that has been the difference, I think. I mean, um, uh, while I'm no uh, fan of Mr. Carey, uh, there is no doubt that he has kept wicket superbly well in all Agreed. three matches. And, Agreed. um, yeah. a couple of the catches he's taken have been, uh, outstanding affairs. So he's at the top of his game wicket keeping wise. I don't think he'll have a better series in terms of keeping wicket. Um, than he's had uh, he's had in this one, uh, and that has been a highlighted difference really between the England wicket keeping and the um, Australian. And I, I'm sad to say this really, but I, I do think that Johnny Bairstow's build is not a natural build for a wicket keeper. He is very solid, um, whereas um, the the really effective wicket keepers are fairly thin but very agile um i don't think johnny bairstow is quite in the same category as you know you think back to the alan knots of this world um his, his build is just different he's is a very solid muscular uh more so actually after his accident when he because he's been in the gym getting himself fit um and i think that that is the split second difference in terms of getting to a ball or not getting to it Yep, I think I tend to agree with that. Jim the Ferret Walker, who of course, who um, our our, our uh, expert wicketkeeper on the panel this evening. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree, Jim. Although, of course, um, we wouldn't have been having the folks debate, would we not, um, if uh, Johnny Bairstow hadn't had that freak accident and broken his leg? Because uh, I think folks only got back in the side, didn't he? Really, because uh, yeah. uh, because that happened and. Yeah. Uh, had, uh, you know, folk, uh, Bester would have gone over winter and kept wicket, and uh, you know, would have come into the summer with uh, maybe a, with a bit more mileage in his gloves, as it were. But uh, yeah. it, it certainly looks. Uh, again, I keep referring to the first day of the third test, which has just uh, ended as we record, and uh, it looked today that he was starting to lose a bit of confidence, actually. And uh, uh, the first chance he missed was a difficult one, but. Uh, the second one he dropped, I can't remember who the batsman was. 
he should really Travis have taken Head, that. Early on. Travis Head, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was uh, that was that was pretty routine. Anyway, that's uh, we. we, we I think it does prove how how dangerous it is to live in panel, because uh, had he not been playing golf in panel and broken his ankle, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I mean, (laughs) panel, I know know it's a very nice place to live, but I would be very careful before you buy a house there. Very true. Very true. We'll we'll all remember that. So uh, before we move on, before we move on, so we say so we've uh, we've just finished day one of the third test. Um, we've got uh, four days of this one and two more tests to go. Uh, Jim, uh, how's it going to finish? What's the what's the score going to be in the test well, uh, in the series? Uh, I think England will win this match. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to watch Jonathan Agnew and Glenn McGrath, and they did a vote on this. And the consensus of the vote overwhelmingly was 3-2 to England. Uh, so I wouldn't rule out 3-2 to England. Um, uh, and, and is that uh, you? Is that your? Is that your genuine? That's your view, is it? 3-2. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go 3-2. Alan. Well, before it started, I said 3-0 Australia and two draws. I think this game, uh, however well it started. Uh, will be a draw because I think it will be weather effective. Um, so that, that makes it 2 0 with two to go. Um, so I'm sticking with 3 0 Australia and two draws by either weather or whatever reason. Hmm. Okay, we've uh, we've recorded those views, so we'll see where we end up. Eh? Are we having yours, Stuart? Uh, I think it'll be 3 0 Australia. Yeah, I do. You think it'll be uh, two draws? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I think, uh, that's, that's where I am. I, I think, uh, I, I'm, I'm so frustrated, so disappointed because I think, uh, we've missed two great opportunities actually in the first two tests. And, uh, you, you, you're right, Jim. I mean, this one, I, I, this one could go either way. Um, it really depends on uh, what happens uh, tomorrow, Friday. Uh, and uh, if England can get a lead, then you might be right. England could win this one, but um, otherwise, um, I, I, I fear the worst. Anyway, we we shall see. Uh, let's move on. Um, I'm going to come back to cricket shortly. Um, I'm conscious of time, uh, but um, just very quickly, I'm going to mention the rhinos. Um, my um, usual update on uh, these rhinos. I'm going to make it very quick. Uh, and I'm going to say exactly what I say every time I talk about the Rhinos is that their season continues to be consistent only in their inconsistency. Uh, in that uh, they've now played 17 games, they've got 16 points. They're only four points away from uh, the playoff, the end of season playoff places. And remarkably, having lost to both of the bottom two teams consecutively in Wakefield and, and Castleford and the Wakefield losing to Wakefield at home, who hadn't registered a single point up to that stage, was just uh, beyond the pale. And I really thought that uh, the Australian coach was under severe pressure at that stage. But what did they do? Or what have they done in the last two games? Well, they thrashed their uh, West Yorkshire rivals, Huddersfield Giants, by 54 points to nil at Headingley. And then... um, uh, last week went and turned over Warrington at Warrington by 22 points to six. So um, 
I, I just don't know. I can't. I cannot forecast at all what uh, what's going on at the Rhinos and what's going to happen in the next two or three weeks. But suffice to say, uh, they're still in it. Um, yeah, the the Rhinos fans went through the mill last year after the first third of the season. They looked as though they were facing a, a relegation battle with Toulouse, but ended up playing in the uh, grand final. And I, I wouldn't put it past them again this season. So uh, we'll see where the Rhinos get up to. Um, we'll be covering the Rhinos at home to Hull KR next uh, a week on Friday evening, a week tomorrow evening as we uh, record. So that's a, that's the Rhinos. So let's go back to cricket. Um, when I put out the agenda to uh, to Jim and Alan to, earlier on today, uh, I asked them to think about their favourite cricket ground that they've uh, ever visited and why. So, Jim, have you given that some thought? I gave it some thought. Um, favourite ground to watch, uh, Lords, because mm. um, from the Lords Pavilion, uh, superb view, the long room, the nostalgia of the place, everything that makes you want to just go go to Lords uh, above all other cricket grounds. It is a cricket ground, not a, an all-purpose sports stadium that can be used for umpteen other things. Favourite ground to play on: uh, Queen's College, Oxford. Um, when I was uh, when I was in my twenties, I was working in the electricity industry, and in those days, the East Midlands branch of electricity had a representative team and every year we played the southwest region of the generating board at Oxford because it was midway between East Midlands and Southwest and it was a day game and you play very few day games when you're an amateur cricketer um, and so the, uh, the, 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 the feeling of batting before lunch and not getting out before lunch and batting after lunch was absolutely terrific and the facilities at Oxford were were magnificent and uh, the, just the setting was uh, so that would do for me. Splendid. Thanks Jim. That's good. Alan, you're a well-travelled uh, cricket follower so come on tell us okay, about... Well, uh, um, I, th- I think I just reflect yes I've been to Lords and I reflect on the fact I went to Lords and I wore a shirt and a tie and a blazer and I was escorted through the long room and all the other sort of paraphernalia of posh cricket in London and what have you. And then I, I just moved forward in my thinking. Um, and I went to, uh, to India and I, I went to, to Delhi and I thought, one thing I'm going to do when I'm in Delhi is go to a, an Indian uh, test ground. So I said to the taxi driver, me and my buddy, uh, we, so we turned up, I was wearing shorts, a, a T-shirt and a floppy hat. We turned up at the Delhi Cricket Club. This is the equivalent of, of the Lords <laughs> of India. So, so we, t- we turn up. Uh, I had trainers on as well. Uh, so I, I turn up at the, at the gate and I said to the security guy, uh, any chance to get in here, bud? Uh, I didn't say that, but that's what I meant. Um, so he said, uh, well, I said, look, I do know Dickie Bird and I do know Jeffrey Boycott. I'm from Yorkshire. Oh, come on in, he says. So anyway, <laughs> we, went, we, went in past, we went in past the stuffed tigers and the paraphernalia about the when the British used to rule India and all that stuff. And you get there and uh, we, we, we get to, to, to close to the play. It was um, 
an IPL practice event between, I forget who it was, I think it was Punjab against Delhi or somebody. It was, it was, it was good. So anyway, I'll keep this short, but my mate then toddled off and he's, he's a bit garrulous. So I let, I let him get on with that. So uh, he came back. He says, hey, Al, um, we've been invited to meet the president. I said, president, I didn't want to meet the president. I just come on up. So we, t- we turn up in the, um, in the, uh, with the upper Raj, the president of the Delhi Cricket Club, who invited us for lunch and whatever we wanted to drink. And that day, funnily enough, it was a World Cup uh, 50 over thing between New Zealand and Australia. And we were united in our support for New Zealand. And New Zealand won. <laughs> and it was an absolutely fantastic day. It cost us now. And we got fed and watered beautifully for me, <laughs> Ellie. Brilliant. Absolutely. Great story, Alan. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm glad, as ever, you kept it short. Well done. You, we, we could have listened to that for some time. But uh, great story. That's uh, that's excellent. Yeah, for me, uh, Jim, like you, um, the I... I actually played uh, three under-19 tournaments at, uh, at the Cambridge Colleges and the, the the facilities there similarly were absolutely fantastic, playing against uh, uh, other counties. Um, and uh, we had the... Uh, uh, we were fortunate enough to play at Fenners, actually, which was... Um, actually, as a bowler, it wasn't, wasn't great. It was like a, playing on a piece of concrete, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but for, but for me, just like uh, like both of you, Lords really is the uh, it really is the home of cricket, and um, um, was fortunate enough to go to Friday of the Lords Test match for for a number of years uh, with the cricket club when I was living down south, and uh, that hum at uh, at Lords uh, between sort of eleven a.m. and uh, noon during the lunchtime session during the lunchtime uh, sorry during the lunch pre-lunch uh, playing session, that just hum of conversation uh, you just don't get anywhere else. And uh, it's, a, it's a very special place, is laws, I think. And uh, I would also, I, I, uh, like Alan, I'm fortunate enough to be in the long run, I was invited to uh, a dinner within, um, in the long room when Andrew Stouse received some award or other uh, because of his university connection. We were at the same university, so we took a table and uh, we'd had a couple of drinks and uh, one of the guys on our table who was an MCC member he said come on we'll, I'll take you up to the dressing room so we went up to the dressing rooms uh, went into the home dressing room and we had a we had a team photo and there were uh, 10 of us I think in total and somebody took the uh, photograph and when he sent out the photograph the next morning circulated and we all sort of contacted each other and said right we can we're all in the photo but there's somebody on the end who we don't recognise. We've no idea who he is. So it was just an interloper who got clearly followed us up to the stairs into the dressing room table, looked around and came in on the team photo, which is great. Yeah, but Lords is a very special place. <laughs> so um, we're we're running short of time, as we ever are. So uh, we'll finish um, this week's Sports Huddle podcast, as we always do, with your sporting moment of the week. So uh, I'm going to give jim the uh, the honor of going last on this because uh, we can't wait um so alan off you go your sporting moment of the week well it, it's today actually um i was torn between do, do i go and spend 160 quid to go and watch uh, england play australia 
do I watch it on telly? Or do I watch Scotland against the Netherlands ah. as, as a, a, a qualifier for the World Cup uh, taking place later this year in it, in India? <laughs> and and I thought, well, you know, I've got no real connection with with uh, with Scotland. I, I like the country. I don't like the politics, but um, I like the country and the people. And uh, so I watched it, and it was fascinating. And uh, Scotland played really quite well. Um, probably didn't get quite as many runs as they should have. And um, because of it, it was essentially a head-to-head as to who's going to go to India for the World Cup uh, later this year. And because of, because Scotland's uh, run rate was better than the, um, the, the Netherlands, the Netherlands had to get whatever score Scotland got within about 44 overs. So, I mean, it was fascinating. Calculators were out all the time. And Scotland were well on top. And at one point, I think the, the Netherlands needed some like 12 runs and over to win this game. And then you've all watched Braveheart, haven't you, and all that. And, and the Scots usually end up losing. <laughs> so, they turned victory into the point of defeat today. And I'm so sorry for them because unlike a lot of English people, I, I actually quite like the Scots to succeed. Uh, we've seen lots of, of, of epic failures of Scottish sport, uh, whether, whether it be Archie Gemmell against uh, whoever it was in, in, in when uh, was it Ali's army and all that. Lot. The, the Scots have got this record of, of tragic failures. And I'm sorry, it was another one today. Thanks, Alan. Well, for uh, any Scottish listeners, uh, that uh, was not a condescending sort of uh, a couple of minutes from Alan. I think I think he genuinely meant it. And yeah, uh, I, I believe they were beaten um, primarily by Baz Deleda. Um, oh, one of them. He took Haifa and he got a hundred, and he was brilliant. I'm not yeah, sure which uh, county yeah. he plays for. Plays at Durham. Plays at Durham. Durham. Because seven of the, uh, the, the the Netherlands side who play for English counties, were barred from attending this qualifier, apparently. But he, it was written into his contract he could go. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yeah, and that's that's terrible, actually. An English county should not have stopped the Netherlands winning. But anyway, they win, and let's let's hope it, it all ends well. Yeah, they um well, they'll be even stronger at the World Cup then if uh, if they if, yeah. well, the, 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 those those seven players will be able to attend. But yeah, Baz Delader plays for Durham, uh, and there was a um, uh, Scots, Scottish his Scottish opponent uh, Tom McIntosh, who's also uh, a Durham player. So uh, uh, when they uh, return to Chester Chesterish Street shortly, then uh, certainly Baz Delader will. Um, We'll have one over his uh, his county colleague Tom McIntosh. So thanks, Alan. That's a, a good one. I, I, I was keeping an eye on that uh, game during the course of the day, and I, 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 like you, I thought Scotland were, were going to pull it off. They uh, they had to beat West Indies, and they did. Uh, they had to beat uh, who did they play after that? Can't remember. Um, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, and they did. And yep. uh, as you say, they uh, lost. Heroically, very sadly, right at the death and got prevented from uh, um, attending the World Cup. But uh, right, it's a drum roll, Jim. Yeah. Um, 
We wait every week for this moment. So off you go, Jim Walker, your sporting moment of the week. Don't let us down. <laughs> Just before I, so I get to it, of course, the Netherlands had that remarkable game against the West Indies. Oh, yes. Where the West Indies got 375, Poran got 100. Netherlands were, were cruising along and then all of a sudden uh, they needed one to win and the guy got out. So That's it was right. high. So they then had a super over and they didn't send out the guy who'd got a hundred and I don't know how many to get them into the position where they, they managed this tie, which they should have won anyway. They sent somebody else out to buy. This might have been this Delaney show. I don't, I can't remember now. And he promptly clothed Jason Holder for 30 in the super over. Three, three, three fours and three sixes. Yeah. Uh, and needless to say, the West Indies collapsed to eight for two and that was game over. <laughs> and of course, the guy—I mean, it might have been Delader. I can't remember yeah. who it was, but uh, I think it was. It was Baz Delader. Yeah, not only did he score the thirty, but he also then bowled the over. He did. That's correct. <laughs> yes, yes that's that absolutely right. Ex- yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. 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 Right. Come on, Jim. So, Keep well, us in suspense here. <laughs> um, well, this this came from listening to Test Match Special, and I was listening to Simon Mann talking to Alistair Cook. And I've always thought that field placings in cricket are very odd names. And I've often wondered how these names ever came about. And I've no idea. But who, who thinks, thinks up things like third man, long leg, silly mid off, extra cover, and all, the, all of them. They're all, they bear no resemblance to anybody who didn't know anything about the game would, would have no idea where these positions were. So, um, they're, they're chatting away and, Alistair Cook says, um, well, what they ought to do is to move him to Basingstoke. And Simon Mann said, you are? He said, Basingstoke. And Simon Mann said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, have you not heard of the fielding position, Basingstoke? And Simon Mann said, no. He said, well, in Essex, um, whenever we wanted to position somebody between two established positions, he said, go and stand over there in Basingstoke. And so Simon said, well, why, why do you call it Basingstoke? He said, well, because nobody knows where Basingstoke is. <laughs> so you go and position yourself between two fielders, sort of third slip and the gully. Uh, so are you fourth slip, fifth slip or second gully, whatever? You're in Basingstoke. And you can apply this position all around the field. So if you've got people at square, one at square leg and, and one at long leg and somebody in between, the, Guy in between is at Basingstoke. <laughs> so I, 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 I put on the podcast the new fielding position, Basingstoke, as christened <laughs> by the Essex cricket team. You have not disappointed us, Jim. Well, well, well done, Jim. Well done. That was a cracker. That deserves a very wide audience, and uh, I'm certainly not going to follow on with that. That's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I shall be telling that story at Teddingley uh, uh, several times tomorrow, as I'm sure you will, Jim, as well. <laughs> so that's very good. Very good indeed. Good. Well, that's um, uh, that's the sports huddle for tonight. So um, thanks, Jim, and thanks, Alan, for uh, helping me through this. I say the. Uh, I'm just standing in for our regular presenter, Ian Marsden, who's just taken a, um, a deserved week off. I think he's got a, a family commitment tonight, but he'll be back in the hot seat um, to uh, uh, to take us through next week's uh, sports huddle. But uh, in the meantime, for 
those of you who are listening on the World Wide Web, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, for those of you who are listening to us in the hospitals across Leeds, uh, it just remains for me to say to wish you a very, very speedy return to full health and a speedy return uh, to your family and friends. Uh, nothing else matters. Uh, so with that, um, thank you for listening. And uh, that's the end of this week's Sports Huddle. Bye for now.